Hey everyone, it's Nally here. How are you doing? This podcast was recorded in the council area known as Darabin in Melbourne. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people and their elders past, present and emerging. A few quick things. This episode is with my old friend Danny Blay. Just a bit of a trigger warning. It does involve a discussion at the beginning about family violence because Danny worked in that area as did I. So we talk about that for about 10 or 15 minutes. If you want to skip past that, please feel free to do so. Um, You may also find it interesting and maybe even informative and therapeutic, but the call is yours. Now for live shows, please go to NellieThomas.com, follow the links. We just did another one at the Malthouse Theatre and oh, it was bloody fabulous. We've got more coming later in the year. Uh, Of course, if you want a particular guest for a live show, do let me know. I'm always open to ideas. Now, we just did another live Zoom event as well with our Patreon and Acast Plus paid subscribers. We had co-hosts Adam Richard and Alice Fraser join us as well as some wonderful listeners subscribers. We had a great chat uh, live in real time where you get to ask questions. We shared stories. We did all the things. It was bloody beautiful. So we do those regularly as well as bonus episodes um, and some other stuff for paid subscribers. So it's only five bucks a month. Hopefully some of you will consider joining up because it helps me to keep the lights on. Now, last but not least, you know it, this is a sex, dating and relationships podcast for adults. If you don't like swearing, it's really going to give you the shit. So off your fuck. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Dear Nelly, I could use some advice. Dear Nelly, yes, some help would be nice. Dear Nelly, I'm eager to hear your point of view. Welcome to Dear Nelly, Sex, Relationships and Dating from the Other Side of 40. And we are joined today by my friend and colleague, Mr. Danny Blay. Hello, Danny. Hello, Nelly. Long time. Long time, first time caller, long time listener. Indeed. (laughs) Long time friend. I was trying to think today, was it 2005 we met or even earlier? Uh, No means no show. Yeah. Yeah. So it would have been early 2000s. So for context, you're not. I mean, you certainly used to speak on the radio and all of that kind of stuff, but you're not like a comedy mate. No. Um, what's your professional background? Well, this most recent profession yes, uh, for the last 26 years um, is uh, effectively working with men who use violence towards women and family members. Yeah. So in that kind of broader men's behaviour change space and policy space, um, and providing training to workers to better respond to men who may be using violence at home, but they're not really sure that they had to respond. Yeah. There's a lot of anxiety from practitioners around saying or doing the wrong thing and making things worse. Mm. Um, so that's the kind of space I inhabit. I was um, the CEO of No to Violence in the Men's Referral Service for 10 years or something. Mm. And now just out there on my own mm. doing stuff. Doing contract stuff. Yeah. So it's a really interesting space because I think, um, you know, the conversation about family violence, violence against women, some people know it as domestic violence, usually, and we, you know, you and I have both hopefully been part of trying to shift this narrative, has usually been focused on the woman, Mm. you know, and why she doesn't leave or why she does leave or whether she should stay or what she's doing. 
And part of, um, in broad terms, your work is looking at changing the behaviour of perpetrators or understanding. I mean, do we still use that language? What's the language now? Well, I, I, it's it's come back into kind of focus and fashion. Again, I don't like using the words perpetrators and victims, Yeah, um, mainly because that kind of describes those people as whole human beings. Yeah. Whereas we know that there's many other aspects to them as people, but there's something about their experience or their behaviour that needs to be addressed. Mm. Um, but, yeah, also, I mean, so the trickiness around this work is not necessarily working with men who use violence and getting them to think differently about respectful relationships, but the link between gender inequality and how that's a primary driver of men's violence towards women can get really messy and complicated, and that's where a lot of resistance can pop up. Um, in training groups and mm. uh, in baby change programs and socially as well. Mm. Um, there's still the mythology around what's normal for men and normal for women, what's normal for boys and girls, mm. um, when we know it's all confected and made up and mm. it's the way we've been socialised since day one. Mm. And so certainly for a lot of men, it can be a big debilitating challenge to be confronted with the notion that they've turned into a kind of person only because of the way in which they've socialised and observed the world, not just their parents and their family, but in the, in the broader world, school, work, mm. TV, the whole thing. Mm. And, you know, a lot of it is just made up and for the purpose of, um, of uh, maintaining the status quo in terms of patriarchy. It's so fascinating, isn't it? Because I think I reckon you're right. It's that... We're really still comfortable with the idea of like, and I'm talking in broad brush strokes. Okay, that bloke hits his wife because his dad was aggro. Yeah, you know, rather than kind of going, there's a whole heap of systems and culture and relation to each other that um, facilitates and permits that. Yeah, and that how do we draw the connection between calling the AFLW a bunch of girls? And him hitting his wife. Yeah, yeah. And and um, the notion that um, so many minor little interactions over a very, yeah. very long time has influenced that. Yes. And the difference between, I mean, I, I talk a lot about um, male privilege in my training mm. um, and I kind of chuckle a bit when I've got a group um, of men and women and... I'm preaching to the choir when I'm talking about male privilege because the women in the room have experienced this all the time. Mm. Um, what was it like to be a girl at school? What's it like in the workplace, in uh, licensed mm. premises, all that kind of stuff? Mm. And the vast majority of men don't have to think about it. No. You know, I often think and I often say, you know, my greatest privilege is being completely unaware of my male privilege. Yeah. I don't have to. Yeah. Works for me. It's yeah. no impact on me unless yeah. I consciously go out and look for it. Yeah. So my my invitation to men is go out and look for it. Yeah. Go, go and be curious about why is it this way and not another way. Yeah. Why is it that when you go to work, women have spent an extra half an hour or so and, and hundreds and hundreds of dollars more on their appearance than you've had to? Oh, yeah. Where did that come from? Yeah. And of- worse, don't then go how silly. Yeah. <laughs> and dismiss them. To- you know, I'll give you an example. I spoke at a conference a couple of months ago. And I, long story short, I went to check into the hotel because it was in um, another state and I had lost my credit card and the, or I couldn't find my credit card. And the hotel staff basically went, oh, don't worry, we'll check you in later. Like, like just go into your room and, you know, you can pay for it tomorrow or whatever. And part of that conference, I had spent most of the day with um, a few Aboriginal workers who worked in Aboriginal health. And it was so stark. I thought to myself, if one of those women um, had rocked up here and had lost her, there's no way they would have let her in. There's absolutely no way. So, you know, there's plenty of privilege in different areas, but you're unconscious of it if you are the beneficiary of it Mm -hmm. most of the time. I was going to go somewhere else, but I'm going to pick up on something you said. In Armchair Expert, I always present a meme or something. One reminded me of you because I reckon you said this to me, geez, it'd be nearly 20 years ago and it had a profound impact on my thinking. Even though I'd worked in family violence, you were talking about, and I'm paraphrasing, so correct me if I'm wrong, but often when men come into behaviour change, they will minimise. Mm. 
and say things like, you know, well, I didn't hit her much, I just pushed her or I only hit her occasionally or I just grabbed her or whatever, like they're minimising the violence. And you said to me, but that's not the question. The question is, is anyone in the house scared of you? Yeah, look, it's something that I, um, yeah, I learnt a long time ago in um, understanding how men will respond to our curiosity about what's going on at home. Mm. Um, and um, it happens all the time in assessing men for behaviour change programs or, you know, on the phone or telephone counselling or in programs. What we refer to as invitations to collude. And by and large, men have become very practised in their own world to justify what's gone on um, uh, to make themselves feel better about it and, yeah. not, take, and not take responsibility. Mm-hmm. So the minimisation of it, of um, it's not that bad, it's not like I hit her, mm-hmm. um, you know, the quote, it's not like I hit her might be factually correct, but it's mm-hmm. irrelevant because mm-hmm. whatever you did had an impact. You know, the justification around lots of men will talk about how stressed they are at work, um, how if they can't afford the, the rent this week, um, you know, I just get so angry sometimes. It's just mm. the way I am. I just lost um, it. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, the, the blaming that you know, she pushes my buttons, she yeah. nags, she's crap. The house is a complete disaster when I come home, mm. um, and the denial of she's making it all up, or the yeah. neighbours are making it all up. They're just getting they're out to get me. They rang the coppers. They didn't have to. Mm. All that stuff um, distances a man from. Um, the impact of their behaviour towards other people and not just their female partner or partner at all, but children if they're around as well. I'm going to push that stuff away because that's too hard to think about. I'm not going to think about I'm a good bloke. I know I'm a good bloke because I work hard and I um, I help out at the footy club and all those Mm. those kinds of things. I'm Mm. going to push that stuff away. And what our job is is to invite them back to actually think about that and reflect back on those experiences and yeah what was it like for your partner and or your children when that happened tell me exactly how far away from her were you what was the look on her face what was your language like what was the volume like your body language all that kind of stuff and the purpose of all that is trying to start dredging up some empathy for those people who they ostensibly love and cherish and want to stay with Mm. usually Mm. um and not blame them for all of that kind of experience. Mm. And that can be very, very distressing and difficult for a lot of men. Mm. Um, and we have to acknowledge that and not just think they're all a bunch of bastards and then we should lock mm. them all up because that is not what, by and large, most women want, most mm. partners, mm. Um, most kids. Mm. And, and it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work. It doesn't change you know, anything. Yeah. It doesn't change anything. Um, and we know that most of these guys aren't psychopaths. We know that they are socialised, mostly educated, working, engaged people who have qualities that were attractive to their partners in the first place. Mm. And so that's why, again, I don't refer to perpetrators because there's all this other stuff Mm. that those women see in those men, but Mm. there's that little bit about their behaviour, not their anger, but their behaviour that needs to be addressed and needs to be, we need to be cautious about in terms of assessing risk. The language. Yeah, I, totally. And I think there's a couple of interesting things for me. Like I remember watching, I think you and I have discussed this. This is years ago, like in the 90s, seeing Oprah of all people talking about her grandmother used to belt her. And I mean, really, you know, lay into her. And she was talking in an interview. She said her grandma would say after, now don't you cry. And she said that because she said grandma didn't want to see what she'd done. Yep. And as you were talking about, like no one wants to think of themselves as a DV perpetrator. No one wants to think of themselves as a violent husband, as that kind of man, yep. right? So there's a whole heap of mental gymnastics going on, right? Yep. So everyone in the house, and that's why I loved what you said to me, everyone in the house might be walking around terrified of you waiting for you to punch a wall, waiting for you to kick a dog, waiting for you to demean them or yep. do something non-physical. But in your own mind, you're like, but I don't smash her. Yeah. So I'm not one of them. And I'm well within my rights to do that. Yeah. Because because look what you've done to me. Look what you yes. did. You know. If I did lose it, it's because you did it. Yeah. 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 No responsibility. There's no issue of choice around how I behave or not. It's yep. just how it is. Yeah. So two, I guess, professional questions for you. One, if there's someone listening 
who recognises that atmosphere in their own house um, and they're on the receiving end of it, shall we say, what would you say? And if they know someone who's doing that, what would you say? Um, first and foremost, I would be recommending that people seek professional advice. It's not help and therapy, but just have a chat to somebody who's going to understand what the dynamics look like. In Australia, 1-800-RESPECT, which is 1-800-737-732, is a good place to start to just have a chat about what's going on. You're not really sure about what's going on. Um, you're a bit concerned about your safety or the safety of your children. You, the relationship's not travelling well. It's good to check it out. Mm. Um but by and large, what often happens in these circumstances is that people will seek out someone that they trust to try and broach a bit of a, a, a conversation. Mm. Um, it's one of the one of the contentions I have with schools around this space where um, a, a school will say, oh, look, we've identified these three teachers to be the ones who will respond to accusations of violence or sexual assault or something. And, you know, I suggest to them that that's, you know, that's not what the kids will necessarily need mm. children will go and speak to someone they trust regardless of what their the badge on their uniform says or their, their position mm. Mm. so um sometimes you know when it comes to women experiencing violence um they will mention something that can raise your antenna and go this sounds a bit weird mm. um, i'm not really sure what that's about mm. um, and it's important that given that they've trusted you to just suggest something that requires a bit more exploration, that we do that in a manner that's not judgmental mm. um, in a way that um, they understand that you are actively listening to them, you know, by, you know, the nods and saying, mm, and, and mm. you know, I hear that, and, you know, so, so what you're saying is so they actually hear, know that you're listening to them intently. And you're not um, going, you should. I'd definitely not be telling women what they should and shouldn't mm. do. I mean, part of the reason why they might be having this conversation with you is that they're sick and tired of being told what to do all the time yeah. or what not to do. Yeah. Um, the important thing to convey in these circumstances is for women to be able to make informed decisions mm. about her and her children. Mm. And you might not be able to do that. You don't know what that is. Mm. Um, but just for you to be saying that sounds really hard and mm. I'm concerned about you and I'm concerned about your kids, mm. um, would it be okay if I go and find some information that I can get back to you around this, not, mm. not disclosing your, your, your identity to anybody, mm. but um, I'd, I'd like to help you out. I, I don't know what to do, mm. but I'd like to go and find out. Would it be okay if I go and find that out for you? Yeah. Um, and also in amongst that, if it becomes apparent that um, risk is pretty high, if she's physically injured, um, or she's talking about physical violence or violence towards the children, then, um, you know, we can merely talk about, well, we need to think about your safety. Mm. Is there somewhere you can go? You can go with the kids. Um, mm. Can you take your important files and documents with you, mm. whatever that might be? Um, and not While we work afraid, this out. While right? we work this out, but yeah. also not being afraid to call police. Mm. Um, by and large, police are much, much better at responding to this stuff than they were even 15, 20 years ago. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, most jurisdictions now, there are codes of practice for police that they have to respond. It's not just another domestic and ignore mm. it. Um, and, again, there are ex there's significant expertise in, in police services these days mm. to respond to that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I think picking up on... Um, a phrase that you use that I think is really important for people to remember. Let's say you're in this situation or you know someone who is, the, the reason you need professional um, input here is that a risk assessment is critical. Because yeah. if you say to someone, and this is the instinct of a lot of people, if you've got a friend or a sister or a brother or whoever who's in this situation, leave, leave. Mm. That may actually put them at significant risk. Right, there needs to be some kind of assessment of how you leave, where you go to, how that can be done safely, a whole range of that there is expertise available rather than you thinking, bad situation, go, that's the answer. Or the flip side of it can't be that bad if you haven't left. Also that, minimizing, um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, mm. if we have a little bit of a think about what the pressures 
on many women are to not leave, yeah, yeah, how yeah. dependent they are to have a, a roof over their head and, and for their kids, mm. all that kind of stuff, mm. and how they're going to feed themselves, where they're going to live, who's going to be, mm. believe me. Mm. Um, they're, they're real dilemmas um, yeah. that's becoming even more acute these days with, you know, the whole housing nonsense housing, going yeah. on, that, um, you know, the thought of living on your own or being a single mm. mum with kids mm. in a flat that's 45 kilometres away from work Mm. It's horrifying. So listen, empathise, don't judge, get expert advice. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll put links in the show notes to 1-800-RESPECT and some other services. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the same response to men. Yeah, right. Tell me why. Um, So as we mentioned before, men are very accustomed to justifying their own experience and their own behaviour and pushing responsibility away. Yeah. Um, it's not their fault, it's not their problem, it's everybody else's problem, this is normal. Um, What most men who use violence towards their partners will know is that it's wrong Mm. and that they don't want it to continue the way it's going. Mm. Um, They will, in a a short term, it's kind of in the cycle of violence that we use sometimes in training and, and working with men, um, the remorse phase for men can be really real after a, a violent incident of, oh, my God, I'm such a dickhead. I can't believe I did that again. Mm. Oh, I can't believe she's going to leave me. She's going to take the kids. Mm. It's going to be awful. I'm going to lose the house, all that kind of stuff. Mm. That's real. And yeah. sometimes men can suggest that's where they're at to their mates or yes. workmates. Um, and that might just be really little things like, um, oh, I had another bust up with the missus last night. Yeah. Um, the response to that can be, oh, yeah, oh, well, whatever. Mm. Um, the tacit kind of message that that man might get was, oh, that's normal and nobody really mm. cares. Mm. But if we say, oh, really? Tell, can you tell me a bit more about what happened? Mm. Um, if uh, we're providing messaging to him that I'm a bit concerned about you, but I'm also really concerned about your partner and your kids, mm. that's getting him to start empathising a bit more for their experience. Um and again, not accusing them, not judging them, not calling them names, mm. um, not being completely shocked and stunned and horrified by what's going on. But again, you know, considering how men might be responding by pushing responsibility and choice away, and you bring it back saying, um, actually, you know, you're talking about being really stressed or you had a few cans last night and that's why it happened. But we're, you know, we've had a few cans today and you're still stressed today, but you haven't mm. had a crack at me. What's what's the difference? What's there? going on? Yeah. 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 Um, and again, if you want things to be better, I don't know what that might be, but would it be okay if I go and do some research and mm. I can get back to you and you'll get some phone numbers and mm. away you go? And that can be, you know, looking out for your mate, your mm. male friend, because you're concerned about him. But, you know, our primary objective is looking out for the safety of his, his partner and his children. Honestly, Danny, can you imagine in that scenario, if you're at work and that is disclosed, from one, you know, let's name it, one straight guy to another, imagine if the other dude went, geez, was she scared? Do mm. you think she was scared? Like even asking that question would be so profound, I think, as you say, rather than that risk of collusion of like, God, the missus drives me up the wall and sometimes I fly off the handle. They may actually be talking about, oh, sometimes we have an argument or yeah. sometimes I'm moody but if you're if you are using violence, it's very easy to read that as collusion and yep. approval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really important. I I remember I had a someone who trained me decades ago, but you know, asked the question, "Do you think she was scared?" And mm. a lot of men will go, oh, "I don't know." And the response could be, "Well, if you did know, what mm. would your answer be?" And yeah. of course, he knows. He of knows precisely. He that was the purpose of the behaviour. Correct. Um, but let's draw that out of you. Let, let's get you taking some some responsibility for that now because that's... Well, and asking that question is mm. not... There's some there's outliers that you'll never manage. Let's be clear on that. There's some mm. people who are just going to be violent regardless of what happens. But we're talking about that movable centre. Asking that question is also not an accusation. You're not going, shit, she was terrified, you're a monster. Yeah. But being able to just kind of go, oh, geez, how did she go with that? Was she scared? You know, if you're punching walls or yelling or threatening to kick the dog or, you know, the things that we don't think of necessarily as family violence. Were the kids scared? Mm. What'd they do? Yeah, what do you do when you come home? 
Yeah, what do they do? That's right. Are they hiding under the bed? Yeah. Are they being quiet? You know, it's, yeah. Look, I know this is a heavy chat, but I think it's really important. Like a lot of the calls that we get, because we are in that phase, Danny, aren't we? When you and I started working together, it was very much, we thought of violence as, you know, broken bones, mm. black eyes. We've shifted a bit culturally. We understand a bit more about coercive control and, you know, non-physical forms of control and violence, but we're still not quite there either. And I notice sometimes we have callers ring in who kind of after they've heard a certain discussion will go, oh, shit, that is me. Yeah. You know, so I think it's just for me, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on is just an invitation for people to consider just even on a basic level, you shouldn't be scared at home. If you're scared, there's something wrong. Yeah. And to start looking at services, who you can talk to, questions, what, however you want to handle it, but to kind of face that in a way. Yeah. 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 And also uh, we need to take into account that, I mean, certainly my experience of working with women who've experienced violence is there's often a lot of shame. Yeah. And a lot of... Um, a lot of those women don't see their experiences have violence at all. No. I, mean, I know women in, who have worked in the family violence sector for a long time who, uh, you know, would go and get some counselling and therapy and the therapist would say, look, it sounds like you're experiencing violence, mm. which would absolutely floor them. So what the fuck are you talking about? I know this stuff inside out. I've been doing it for mm. 20 years. So, mm. well, let's, let's pull this apart a bit. So, you know, the shame around that stuff and the resistance, I know I'm better than that. I'm smart. I'm educated. Yep. I'm making money. I run a good house. My kids are awesome, all that kind of stuff mm. um, can sometimes get in the way. And that's where we as people in the community can be a little bit more helpful mm. when we say, look, I'm a bit concerned about you. It yeah. doesn't sound right. Can open up the, the gateway to, to some safety. Absolutely. And when you, you know, when you add on, and we get this a lot in the podcast, and this has been my experience as well, when you add on intersectionality, when you start talking about, well, if it's a same-sex relationship, if there's disability involved, if there is, um, you know, POC, whatever, all the things, there's all then other layers of will I be believed? Will I be received at the service? Will the experts believe? What if it's not a man and a woman? What if it's a man and a woman and it's the other way around? What if it's two women? What if it's two men? What if the police are, I have not had racist treatment from the police? Like there's a whole range of things that go into this, let alone that cultural overlay and the psychological wearing down that happens in those. You can be in that relationship and not know. That's the truth. Yeah. 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 Oof. Okay. Now, normally I start with your, I'm going to pivot here. Um, I think it'll be lighter. Okay. <laughs> normally I start with the with the guest dating history. We probably haven't got a huge amount of time, um, mm -hmm. but I would like to get at least a pricey of, because you've been married a long time, my friend. Yes. Yes. How yes. long have you been married? Been married 30 years this year. 30 years. That sounds right. Yeah. Shitballs. And how old are you? 55. 55. So you met your wife when you were 25 or you got married when you were 25? We met when we were 14. Um, what? We, we didn't talk to each other for, you know, another six years or something. That is funny. Where um, did you meet? At a youth group. Oh, at, wow. At group. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we started dating when I was 21. She was 20. Yeah. Um. And we travelled and moved out and that was the end of that. So, so tell me before that, because I think that's so adorable, between 14 and 20, like would, did you did you have the hots for each other? Were you just like no. not able to approach? What was going on? No, well, look, I was a baby, that's for sure, so I yeah. had no idea what was going on and it wasn't on my radar as a 14-year-old. I, I was yeah. into footy and cars and that's it. Yeah. Um, um, so look, yeah, my, my dating history is very brief. Yeah. Um, not a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Um, certainly nothing long-term. The longest term was a high school dalliance that lasted, I don't know, about four or five months or something. And that yeah. was, you know, that's it. Yeah. A couple of other little incidents. Yeah. <laughs> of note. <laughs> that's cute. So but you get, you two get married 
mid-20s, you've been married 30 years, congrats. Um, you've got two kids who yep. grow up and flew the nest. Yep. Will you, because you and I have talked about this off air, will you come back on next time and talk about the empty nest feeling? Yes. Because I think we haven't got time for it now, but there's plenty of people listening who would have been shocked, I reckon, about yep. their own response to their kids moving out. Yeah. Um, so we'll come back and do that. But I just wanted to give context um, yep. for your the advice I'm about to ask you to give. Are you ready to give some listener advice? I'll try. Hi, Nelly. I wanted to give you an update on the letter you read out in the episode with Scott Brennan, which was also repeated in Producer Sammy's Best of 2023. To recap my situation, I'm divorced in my mid-40s with two children. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Last year, I was living with a man who I loved and still do, but I didn't want to live with him anymore. He moved into my house and his daughter stayed a few nights a week. After two years of this arrangement, I realised that living together wasn't working and I was becoming resentful and anxious, so much so that my doctor put me on antidepressants. I am in perimenopause stage, so that may have been a factor, but needless to say the antidepressants did not work and the only thing left to do was to have a heart-to-heart about our living situation. I explained to him that I felt like I had lost who I was as a person and missed having my independence and space. Resentment was also building around finances, chores and blending our two families. He was hurt by my decision but eventually accepted it and moved out four months later. Scott said wanting my own space does not mean breaking up. I had no intention of breaking up with him and asked him if he'd be willing to be in a relationship but live apart. If you Google it, it is called LAT, or living apart together. So many of our family and friends thought our situation was weird. However, Nellie said that my needs mean something. Right, and I will tell you, well, I'm going to give you some context, Danny, just in case um, you and other listeners haven't heard the initial call. So the short story is that this woman had been married for a long time, got divorced, started dating relative, like within a year, of breaking up the divorce um, and relatively quickly this guy had moved in. The information we had at that time, it seemed as though he wasn't able to contribute anywhere near equally financially um, and there was some concern about whether or not it was a sort of convenient housing situation. Um, but either way, she was, as she's mentioned in her follow-up call, she was getting resentful. She wanted the space back. So she'd been in what I think was quite a claustrophobic marriage, had really enjoyed um, the independence and felt like she'd lost it. And I think both Scott and I were basically saying, that's okay. You know, like have a chat to him. You don't have to live together. You don't have to parent someone else's kids. Um, I will say in very happy news, and then I'll ask your view, she's done a second follow-up call where she said it's going super well. So even though initially he had that reaction that I think a lot of people would have of like, why do you want me to move out and experience it as a rejection, they've actually made it work. Um, They're still together. They live close by but not in the same house. And the short story is happy days. Mm. Right? So what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, look. Excellent that it that it's worked out. Um, yeah, look, I, I'm I've always been quite interested in thinking about the historical kind of social pressure for people to live together. Yes, um, and even that being refined further down as nuclear family. Yes, it's not that long ago that um, extended family lived together. Yeah, um, and we lived in communities, and you know, it takes a village to raise a child, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's only relatively recently that we've put ourselves 
in situations where we sit in a box with our partner and maybe two, three kids, mm. and that's it. Mm. And anything other than that is weird yeah. and should be shunned. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, even that notion you talk about, um, there was there was discrepancies in income and, and sharing a load of chores and that kind of stuff. Mm. It's not that long ago where chores were a collective responsibility of not just that nuclear family or not just that couple. Mm. And when it's been whittled down to just that one couple, it can become inequitable pretty quickly, mm. um, which obviously um, uh, puts pressure on. I mean, I, I know a few uh, couples of my generation who... Uh, have been in those relationships for a very long time and have never lived together, and that's normal. Um, But, again, as we mentioned before, most of them can do that because they can afford to. Yes. Um, And lots of people can't afford Ah. to do that. Mm. The other thing around that that I often think about is, uh, and women, uh, single mums in particular, have mentioned this to me over the journey, is the pressure to have to go and partner up. Yeah. And I've heard women talk to me about husband shopping. Yeah, because otherwise it's not normal. Yeah, um, and the mythology, particularly around single mums bringing up boys, because if they do that, then the boys are just going to turn into little criminals. Yeah, and you need you know mums are too quote, soft. Yeah, you need you need the positive male role model to mm. teach boys how to be proper good men, mm. um, which is demonstrably nonsense. The research mm. tells us very clear that single mums mums partnered with other women are just as if not better at raising kids and boys yep. as as others statistically mm. um, but there's that that massive social pressure where um, women in particular aren't allowed to be on their own yeah it feels like that men have much more permission to do that themselves mm. um, bachelor pad Danny but also pad. even socially you know um, in my when not long after Sandy and I got together and we started living together and a bunch of our mates started partnering off, I noticed that, you know, people were all working full-time or whatever. Come Saturday morning, a bunch of my male mates would get up at seven, pack the car and go and play golf. Mm. Um, uh, or, you know, they'd go to the footy or they'd do stuff on their own mm. or with other blokes, um, which was quite normal that's what blokes did but for women to do that or for women to say i'm going i want to have some time by myself mm. was just a bit odd yeah what's wrong um, with that so uh, you know to just be mindful of where that social pressure is coming mm. from um and i mean the other thing that um that piqued my interest about that uh, that call uh, the difference between uh her wanting to or not wanting to live with him versus her not wanting to live with another adult at all. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, why do we have to live with other adults if we yeah. don't really want to? If we find an adult we want to live with, then great. Mm. If, we, if we're hanging out with an adult that we like spending time with, mm. um, but we don't want them in the house, and that's mm. also cool. Mm. Um, and we as men need to be mindful that that's, you know, it, that doesn't make you weird or unfair or mm. withholding affection or that kind no. of stuff. It's no, and I think in your it. in your language, it's all made up, right? So these ideas of household configurations, as you said, historically, like we're all banging on now about twenty five year olds still living at home. These cultures existing now, and certainly historically, where that would have been norm- weird if they didn't. Yeah, it's completely normal for extended family to live together for the grandparents to be there to you know all live in the same house let alone next door in the same suburb or whatever and there's no reason that you can't apply that lens to this situation if she is able to afford to live on her own and that is preferable for her mental health and makes her a better parent better partner all the thing who the fuck cares what the neighbors think yeah you know like good on you yeah, I mean, you, you, when you say it out loud, it's really weird, isn't it? But but that's that's the that's the social world that we live in. Can't you imagine though? You can totally imagine. She sounds like she's similar age to you and I. You can imagine her at a barbecue, kind of going, "Yes, this is my partner of three years. We don't live together," and everyone going, "Why? What's wrong with him? What's yeah. wrong with you?" Like, what did he do something? Did you do something? Like, there is still, even among progressives, I reckon, there is still stigma 
around that stuff. As she said, and you can Google it, there is a big movement of LAT living apart yeah. together. I interviewed a couple actually who've been together 35 years hmm. um, who live in Tasmania and they both have their own house. Yeah. Um, that's just one example. There's many others. But I reckon, you know, rip up the script. If this works for both of you, I'm glad that he was able to get past the idea that it was a rejection because I didn't hear it as a rejection at all. No. I heard it as a woman who hadn't had autonomy for a long time and mm. then got some, then gave it away and wanted it back. And that's not on him. No, and also thinking that it's not that long ago that young women went from their parents' house to their husband's house. Yeah. And there was no independent living. You know, share oh. housing, you know, certainly for my parents' generation was mm. not a thing mm. um, where it's extremely normal, if not um, desirable. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And actually going back to your single mums, one of the things I hear from occasionally, which I absolutely love the idea of for single parents but also for older people, um, is that idea of reframing the concept of shared house from oh, because I can't afford it mm. to, well, it takes a village. You know, if you've got two single mums with, you know, three, four, five kids between them, I can tell you logistically mm. in terms of costs of childcare and, you know, cooking and all the shit, yeah. um, that would be a lot easier yeah. and financially more viable. And the same, you know, in, in retirement. I can imagine living with four or five friends. Well, that's something that we've been working on for a long time and got no, nowhere near close to making it happen. But yeah. it makes perfect sense. It just yeah. you know, lives go in different directions and it doesn't. it's not always compatible or as compatible as it was 15 years ago. It seems. Or it's still considered weird, I think. Like it takes someone to really kind of go, no, let's make this happen. Yeah. You know, and you occasionally do see that. I've got a friend whose uh, grandma and five of her friends, and this takes money, I get it, I get it, the housing crisis. Anyway, they all bought, instead of going into retirement village, they all bought apartments in the same block and they pay collectively between the six of them for a nurse and a cleaner to come once a week to check everyone's blood pressure and medications and then a cleaner to clean everyone's house. Danny, they meet at 4 o'clock every day, drink gin and bloody play canasta, right? (laughs) This is the dream. Yeah, look, I, I, um, I don't think I'm talking out of school, but um, uh, Sandy's parents were building a house when her grandfather died suddenly, and so they changed the plans of the house to put a little flat on the back of it so Sandy's grandmother could move in. Yeah, and it was built, and it was fine, and then a flat turned up on the other side of town where two of her mates lived. And she said, I'm going there, you kidding? Yes. Had a great time. Love that. All right, I've got a letter for you. Yep. Um, I'm going to read it out to you. Okay. Dear Nelly, love your podcast. Thank you. Um, Just wanted to remind those that have come out of a long-term relationship for whatever reason that there are good times to be had no matter what your age. I met my high school sweetheart at 16, married him at 20 and remained in love for over 40 years. We had three children and I was happy as fuck. I can't believe I now say fuck. (laughs) I was living my suburban life, working three days a week as a nurse, paying the mortgage, doting on grandchildren, to some a little life but to me a happy life. My husband died at home in my arms, I'm so sorry, Mm -hmm. after eight years of fighting cancer and I found myself single for the first time since I was 16. I wallowed for 18 months. I'm going to put a pin in wallowed. I reckon that's fair enough. But anyway, I wallowed for 18 months and then decided that I had to drag myself out of misery and live. Fake it till you make it was my motto. I reconnected with girl pals, regained my fitness, traveled overseas on my own, and then got into the dating game. Yes, I got online and used those bloody apps, much to my grown children's dismay. None of this, I add, was easy. Surprise, at 60, I had no trouble with getting dates. I did a few stupid things that I learned from, but eventually met another very good man. I renovated a house on my own, sold my family home and jumped in the deep end and moved to the country to live another life chapter. At 65, I eventually remarried. I'm a sucker for commitment. That second very good man. And I, again, I am happy as fuck. 
I walk most days and listen to your podcast. I'm grateful to you for opening up your discussions and making me realize despite my limited life experience, I'm open to anyone who's an authentic person. Nelly, again, thank you for your authenticity and for helping me to find if I find myself alone again, I'll be just fine. Off I fuck in brackets. <laughs> I love this line. <laughs> oh my God. I couldn't love it more. What Have you got t-shirts of that yet? What's that? You got t-shirts with that on it yet? I've got a tea towel, doll. I'll send you okay. one. Oh. <laughs> How cute is that? What do you hear? Tell me, tell me. Um, I, I hear... Um, just I, I think a lot of centeredness and reality of, of this is yes. how life can work if you get a bit of focus. And, yeah, you, you're pinning the word wallowed. Um, mm. it, it almost comes across as I was a bit surprised that I didn't do anything for 18 months. Well, no, it makes perfect sense. It does. Um, and it's sad and it's awful. And mm. um, But uh, the capacity to take some little risks to see what else is out there, dip your toe in the water and, um, maybe there's some fun to have because I'm, mm. you know, I've still got, you know, some innings left in me. Yeah. Um, is awesome. I don't really know why uh, you wouldn't have a crack. And, you know, if it doesn't end well, you don't find someone that is compatible or makes you happy or you feel safe around, then okay, mm. you had a go. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I mean, this is, you know, one of the lessons for me. And it's the same lesson that um, we have taking our kids traveling, all that kind of stuff. We all basically want the same thing. Mm. We want, you know, a bit of closeness, um, a bit of attention, some safety, um, having some fun, um, a bit of escapism from the awfulness of the world um, and, you know, people we can trust who are simpatico with our, you know, mm. pretty much our, our beliefs and, our, you know, our ethics, our morals and how we want to view the world. Mm. Yeah, that's right. It's pretty simple. Awesome. I mean... It's hard, but it's simple. Like I think the thing I hear is, God, the word resilience is overused, but far mm. out the resilience, you know, and that's why I put a pin in the word wallowed because I think giving yourself 18 months to, um, I'm assuming by wallowed she means be sad, grieve, yeah. fall apart. Um, that doesn't seem that long to me. And mm. to have the capacity to kind of go, all right, I know I'm not quite there, but I need to, when she says fake it till you make it, I think she's going, I'm not quite there, but I need to get back out in the world. And then when I act that way, the feelings will follow. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to consider. Sometimes we wait, oh, I'll wait until I feel like exercising to go for a walk. Yeah, You're not going to suddenly feel like exercising. You kind of need to go for a walk. And then you yeah. get used to going for a walk. Yeah. Same with dating, right? There's probably not going to be a day at 60 where you turn around and go, today's the day. <laughs> <laughs> but you might go to yourself, okay, I think I can handle it. I think I'm in a good enough place that if I get rejected or if, you know, any of the difficulties happen that I'm okay. And that's the day to go, no guts, no glory, let's have a go. Yep. And she's done it. She's done it and it's worked. It's worked. And like she says, you know, even though she's gotten married again and presumably has made a long-term commitment, she's also aware enough to know if this ends for whatever reason, she's lost her husband already, if this happens again, I will be sad but I will be okay. Yep. And that's a really great um, place to start something from. Because it's a choice. It's not an um, act of desperation. Yeah, and it also speaks to me about um, uh, a need or a desire to be with others, mm. however that looks. I mean, you know, there's lots of examples of single older people who will just stay home yeah. or not do much or not, not, not much that's kind of meaningful in terms of their own exploration of their own society, their own community. Mm. Um, so even just being out there yeah. um, is great because the, the, the easy option is to watch daytime telly. Yeah. Even if you're just going on dates and yeah. you never find someone that you want to have a long-term thing with, I tell you what, it'll be good for your head. It'll be good oh. for your brain, be good for your mental health. Get out of the house. And some of the stories you could come and tell your mates about, I went oh, out good. with this bloke, my God. You'd be the talk of the town. Yeah. 
Can you imagine? Can I just also say, I think you'll relate to this. Your kids are a bit older than mine, but I'll tell you one thing I find hilarious, especially for progressive parents, is how conservative your kids can be. Like the idea that they're like, Mom, what are you doing on the dating app? Like, you go, girl. You go. I love it. Fuck the kids. Yeah. I don't have to be involved in, the, in in how you get a date. You're 60 years old. You can do what you want. Yeah, look, there's been times where my kids, our kids have said to me, Dad, that's really embarrassing. I said, mate, I used to wipe shit off your ass. So just, Correct. you know, can it. Correct. And, look, that's different. You don't come home, I reckon, even when they're older kids and tell them everything that happened on the date, like yeah. have some boundaries. But the idea that you are proactively seeking a partner, or even if you're just seeking sex, good on you. You're 60. Go for it. Do what you want. No hand on. Love it. Now, we normally finish on two segments. One is no shade on my ex, but you don't have an ex. Well, really, I do. do I do. I have, I have one ex who slept with my best mate. Oh, Danny. <laughs> I take it back. What? This I is at high it. school? No, this is, I was, um, I reckon I was 18, 19. Oh, mate, that's the worst. Did you <gasps> keep either of them in your life? Oh, no, no. No, so you lost a friend at the same time. Yeah, well, you know, that I believe that friend lives overseas now and has for quite some time, so nothing lost. Oh, how did that feel at 18? Oh, um, you know, uh a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment, yeah. um, a lot of um, anger towards my mate, not really much to her. I mean, you know, mm. she did what she did, but, you know, she, I'd, you know this is a guy I'd known throughout high school. Um, yeah. uh, a lot of resentment, but, you know, yeah, I still went out and saw Ben and, you know, had fun. So, yeah. Nothing drastic. That's 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 the worst thing, if not the yeah. only thing. In fact, I couldn't even tell you where my other exes are at. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's a that's a doozy because I reckon. Speaking of our caller, so Scott Brennan, that situation happened to him as well, and I think, in well, in his case, it was a much longer term relationship, but um, trying to separate out the betrayal of the friendship and yeah. the relationship is really murky. You know, I think I'd be more devastated by the friend, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 there was that trust that would, had built up over some years and we'd been travelling together and all that kind of stuff, mm. whereas this was a young woman I met at uni and, you know, mm. had known for not that very long. And so, of all the yeah. girls, Danny, that's the thing that spins me out in this situation. It's like the same with Scott. Of all the guys, like, why? Why? That one. I don't get it. There's something, I don't know, Freud would have a field day, but I, I'm not clever enough to psychoanalyse what's going on there, but something's going on. Yeah, don't know. Either way, don't not know. good. Now, I presume you're not dating mm. and haven't dated for not. some time, but there is a, um, there's a TikTok trend that your kids may be across called, there are 10 but, and I encourage, this is hard for a deep thinker like yourself, but I encourage you to go as superficial as you can. So you're on a yep. date with someone, it's going really well, the pistons are firing, everyone's happy, there's frisson, and then they do something or say something or wear something or whatever that you go, I can't get past this, I'm out. What is it? I love this question, Nelly, and I'll give you my top five. Great. Right. Hit me. Number one, right-wing politics. Done. So. If they if they can genuinely describe how and why things you know were better back then, I'll yeah. listen. But I bet you they can't. Yeah. Unless it's based on self interest. You know, women yeah. have got it too good or that kind of stuff. Good old Number days weren't two, that good. Yep. Oh, they were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Number two, conspiracy theorists and anti vaxxers Yep. I'm out. I'm out. out. I'm gone. Yep. I'm not interested. Number yep. three, um, victim blaming. Um, so yes. blaming women or the poor or people from particular race or cultures or LGBTIQ plus community yeah. or disabled or refugees or something. So if they it's, do something like, why don't they just get a job? Yeah. That kind of vibe, yeah. Well, you know, why are they coming here? They should make their own country better. What was she wearing when that happened? That kind of vibe. <laughs> yeah, 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 gotcha. Yeah. Yep. So basically they're ideological 
positions are the main thing, first three. Yeah, and certainly if it's prefaced by I'm not racist, but. Oh, yeah, no. Number four is if they think that reality TV, and I'm sorry, Nelly, if they think reality (laughs) TV is in fact real. (laughs) Are you about to tell me the worldwide wrestling that both of us would have enjoyed as teenagers was not real? I'm here to tell you that mass is not real. Oh, mate. I know that hurts, but I'm that a friend. Hurts. You've got to hear it. That You've is got to a hear stake it. through the heart. You know that I know you're right. You also know <laughs> that I will continue to watch everything. Oh, yeah. That's why we watch the wrestling. <laughs> if they're deluded, like, you know what, to be perfectly honest, I'm the same with someone with sport. Right, I yeah. totally accept. Like, if they're into sport, you go for it. I'm very happy for you to sit, watch the test match, watch the footy, whatever it is. But if you can't see the absurdity yeah. and the tribalism and all the other things of sport, then that's going to bother me. Yeah. But yeah, go I, consume I it. What's number five? Number five, drum roll, please. Uh, the number five top reason is if boat shoes and pop collars on polo shirts are involved. <laughs> Oh, that's heaven. What are um, boat shoes? Out. Like deck shoes. You know, they got those that um they're like loafers with the little tassels yes. on the front. I know exactly what you mean. From below deck, reality show. I know exactly what you mean. I'm with you. I am with that. You know the shoes that I can't stand is those, mm. you know, they were on the Sopranos a lot. So they're really shiny leather shoes mm. and they kind of come to a point, but then they've got a straight edge at the toe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird. They, were, they were big in the nineties. Those things, yeah. Cute, but they're big and like literally big. <laughs> Unnecessarily. Yeah. Okay, great. So if they're right wing, if they are deluded, if they're into conspiracy theories, and if they look like a Ralph Lauren poster. <laughs> Ow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're Go a on. fussy bugger, aren't you? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Guess how old I am. <laughs> Oh, Danny Blay, what a delight. Will you please come back on so I can get more I'd love to. more questions for you? And do you have some means for us to find you? Uh, tricky. Um, if you uh, if you want to contact the Women's Health Women's Health Victoria or Our Watch, then I can find me. I'm on some of the socials, not the naughty ones. Yeah. Um, LinkedIn, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I would say for people listening, though, particularly if they're in workplaces and they want to do that kind of training that you do, Mm. um, they should find you, right? You're you're a consultant now. Yeah, yeah. And there there are a bunch of us who who are providing that kind of training. There's a lot. We're doing a lot of um, gender equity in the workplace training as well. Um, which is proving to be really useful and can be quite fun as well for participants. So, um, yeah. yeah, Women's Health Victoria and our watch, um, hit them up. Perfect. Thank you so much, my friend. I hope to see you soon. Thanks, Nelly. Oh, actually, can I just say, as an aside, I forgot to say this. Originally we were going to record on Sunday, and I love this as a modern-day middle-aged progressive text conversation you said, as I believe a at least straightish, mostly straight man, I can't come on Sunday because I'm going to the Pride March. <laughs> and I was like, I couldn't love you more. <laughs> you have to, you have to come with us one year. It's look, I have fun. been before. I find it a little bit overwhelming. It's a bit hot. It's all those like it's it's me being an old lady. But yes, it's fabulous, and you enjoy. And I hope to see pictures of you um, at the Pride March on Facebook. Okay. All right. Thanks, mate. See you, mate. Take care. Dear Nelly, I could use some advice. Dear Nelly, yeah, some help would be nice. Dear Nelly, I'm eager to hear your point of view. Dear Nelly, there's a lot to explore. Dear Nelly, when you're 40 or more.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Dear Nelly. Now, don't be shy. I would love to hear your questions and comments. To send me a recording or an email, go to nellythomas.com and follow the links. It's super easy and you might hear me talk about your question in a future episode. Huge thanks to producer Sam Peterson from the Producer Boy Creative Production team and to producer Faye Younger, who in addition to being an excellent human, is also a brilliant real estate buyer's advocate and can be found at youngerhill.com. Thanks to Acast and all the team. And lastly, to you. Without the listeners, I'm just a middle-aged mole talking shit to no one. Please rate, review and consider subscribing for five bucks a month for a bonus episode and to help me keep the lights on. And tell your bloody mates, would you? I'd really appreciate it. Love yous.